Good afternoon. This is Dr. Daniel John Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the inland Pacific Northwest of the magnificent United States. Uh, today is, of course, the 19th of October, so we're, we're crowding down towards Halloween. Try to get a little bit more festive as we get closer to that date. <clears throat> At any rate, um, I don't know, I guess it's kind of scary, the kind of thing we're talking about. Generally, we've been discussing aging, particularly human aging, and the immune system. And for some people, that may seem a bit daunting. If not intellectually, perhaps at some level, pathophysiologically. Um, we're not um, denied the right to discuss these things simply because they could cause some small bit of anxiety, which actually is good for you. So let's just continue. Now, last time you will recall, we were talking about sirtuins. Remember, those are deacetylases. And we're talking about NAD, nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide, oxidized form, right? And we were saying that that was a key important cofactor in the deacetylase reaction. We went through a little bit of, of uh, analysis of the different kinds of reactions sirtuins can catalyze and some of the end products. Remember, one of them was ADP ribose. We talked a little bit about ADP ribosylation as well. Now, ADP ribose is a key component of certain type of DNA repair enzyme machinery. And we talked about this way back when we were doing DNA repair, DNA recombination. This would have probably been, oh, I'm thinking February of 2020. But we also brought it up re uh, recently. So hopefully you will be uh, reminded of that. We'll talk about it a little bit more today. Okay, so the topic of today's uh, lecture is going to be um, DNA damage repair and the roles of sirtuins and the NAD, metabolic paradigm, in aging. So, let's get going with it. Paper published in this year in eLife 2020. The DOI on that is 10.7554. Talks about DNA damage increases with age. The DDR, remember that's the damage repair response is immediately elicited to regain genomic integrity. And it does so via the process of re chromatin remodeling. We've talked a lot about over the, oh, you know, hundreds of lectures I've done here. It does it via chromatin remodeling, but it requires also signaling transduction and the amplification. Double-stranded breaks, uh, we're calling DSBs, are actually the most severe type of DNA lesion. They're recognized by an enzyme system called MRE11, RAD50, NBS1. Combination of those three enzymatic complexes is just called MRN, the MRN complex. That actually recruits and activates a phosphatidylinositol 3 kinase-like protein kinase, ataxia telangiectasia mutated. You know now what we call that, the ATM. But we're not done. There's also the entire ATM and RAD3 related. And thankfully, we call that the ATR. Okay. So 
Now, these are enzyme complexes, which are required, as you can see, a number of individual proteins, that means gene products, necessary to arrange in the right stoichiometry to carry out double-stranded uh, break repair um, in the process of DNA uh, damage repair. Now, there's another protein called H2X, and that's rapidly phosphorylated, and that becomes gamma H2X. It's phosphorylated by that ATM-ATR machinery. And that whole system then serves as a platform to actually localize repair proteins nearest to the DNA lesion, right? The double-stranded break, the DSB. Now, at the same time, histone-modifying enzymes, heterochromatin factors, and even ATP-dependent chromatin remodeling all work cooperatively. And I would say what they're doing there um, in terms of biophysics is they're relaxing the chromatin structure and they're ensuring that additional repair factors have access to that double-stranded break. Now, NAD, as we've been saying, dependent sirtuins belong to what is known as class three histone deacetylases. We affectionately call those HDACs. Now, there, now again, this, is, this should be reviewed for you, but there are seven sirtuins, labeled, of course, sirtuin one through seven, <clears throat> with various enzymatic activities and, indeed, physiological functions. All of those are expressed in mammals. CERT 1, 6, and 7 will localize to the nucleus uh, after they're uh, tra translated in the cytoplasm. And they seem to be most relevant to the DDR response because their depletion actually causes growth retardation uh, and defective DDR, and indeed DNA repair goes south, and what that all then uh, results in is a premature aging in animal models. Obviously, sirtuins necessary here. Now, upon DNA damage, cert one traffics to the chromatin. It's another indication. It's important, right? It actually co-localizes with the DNA repair machinery and in particular, the protein called gamma H2X, the one I just brought up, that platform protein. Once it's there, it deacetylates XPA, NBS1, and KU70. And that then tends to regulate nucleotide excision repair homologous recombination, HR. And indeed, it also is required for non-homologous end joining. That's N-H-E-J. Remember, these are processes of DNA repair, mechanisms and processes. So no more detail now than we did a few years back. Now, depleting CERT1 in mouse fibroblasts impairs that DDR, and it leads to the all-important age-associated genomic instability, something I've talked about already. Now, CERT6 is one of the earliest factors distributed and therefore recruited to the double-stranded break. It initiates a subsequent recruitment 
of this whole host of other proteins, some of which I've mentioned and a few new ones. Here's some new ones. It recruits SNF2H. It recruits the H2X and also DNA protein kinases and the PARP1. Now, what's PARP1? Well, that's poly ADP ribose polymerase. And there are multiple forms of PARPs. PARP1 is the only one we're talking about here. So basically, CERT6, because it uses NAD as a cofactor, remember the byproduct of that reaction uh, after, uh, after deacetylation can be acetyl ADP ribose, but you remove the acetate, and what you have is ADP ribose. So CERT6 monoribosylates PARP1, the enzyme, and when it does so, it enhances the activity of PARP1. Okay, so you get to where we're at so far, hopefully. All right, move on. So the DNA damage response is, of course, highly orchestrated. But exactly how the double-stranded DNA's uh, uh, double-stranded breaks are, are fixed and initially recognized in particular, that early phase isn't all clear yet, even in 2020. So in this paper we're talking about in New Life, they ended up showing that polymerized SIRT6, remember this is the SIRT2 and deacetylase enzyme 6, that isoform of that enzyme. You polymerize that enzyme, then that polymer of that enzyme recognizes the double-stranded break, and it essentially that then potentiates the DDR. Remember the DNA damage repair response. And that, that's been observed in human and in mouse cells. That's a mammalian event, right? So first, CERT1 though, before CERT6 does what I just explained to you, CERT1 has to deacetylate CERT6 at its residue lysine 33. That's important for CERT6 polymerization. So you have to deacetylate CERT6 before it can polymerize. Okay. And then that allows it to mobilize towards the double-stranded break. So the then lysine 33 deacetylated CERT6 anchors on to that gamma H2X, and that allows its retention on and subsequent remodeling of the local chromatin, presumably the chromatin associated with the DSB. Now, this paper goes on to show you that a mutation, taking lysine 33 and turning it into an arginine, that kind of mutation actually mimics hypoacetylated CERT6. That's, that's CERT6 that has less acetylation than native CERT6. And that can basically rescue defective DNA repair as a result of CERT1 deficiency in cultured cells. Now, that makes sense. See, if you have a hypoacetylate CERT6, it doesn't need CERT1 to carry out the deacetylation to, to then allow the procession into polymerization of the CERT6 and then hunkering down on that piece of double-stranded break um, in the DNA. You understand? Okay, so that's how these experiments are done. So the data then basically generally highlight what could be called a synergistic interaction between these certs, which ones? One and six. 
and it occurs in the spatiotemporal regulation of the DDR, and then ultimately, of course, the repair of the DNA. And we see this in mouse and in human cell culture. Now, let's go back and talk a little. Okay, so you got that so far. Now, go back and talk about melatonin. Remember melatonin, the pineal gland, endocrine hormone, which comes from tryptophan. And a precursor to it is actually what? Think about it, right? I will come back to that in a moment. Of course, serotonin. The effects of melatonin in the immune system can be either pro or anti-inflammatory. We've talked about this before. And typically the valence is toward immune stimulation. But in other settings, it is indeed immunosuppressive. So it depends on the molecular architecture of the cell when melatonin is bound to its receptor. Okay, so you understand that this is a residence-associated valence interaction and therefore potential to change. The influence of melatonin on CERT1, which is why we're bringing it up today. Remember, melatonin had to do with the PER genes and the circadian clock. Quite a complicated story we went through the last couple of lectures. But the influence of melatonin on CERT1 expression, remember, you need CERT1 to deacetylate CERT6 to carry out DDR on double-stranded breaks, remember? So the influence of melatonin on CERT1 expression is also revealed effects of the counter of, of what I would call, the, I guess, a contrarian regulation. And you get a contrarian regulation because you look between tumor and non-tumor cells because this has been studied. Yeah. Now, these are all related to aging, as you understand, because one of the major morbidities in aging, if you don't get cardiovascular disease, or if you don't get a solid organ degeneration or a degeneration of other cellular system, you can get cancer. Yeah. Now, while being strongly suppressive in cancer, uh, in, in these studies, in cell culture, of course, melatonin mainly stimulates CERT1 in non-transformed cells, especially in the context of aging. Now, that's a complicated sentence there. So it seems to be strongly suppressive in cancer but melatonin only seems to stimulate CERT1 activity in non-transformed cells. But, and only when you take a look at it in uh, senescing cell lineages. However, it's always a however in biochemistry, CERT1 expression is distinct from its biological activity. Now we talked about this, why is that? Simple, shortest answer is because you need NAD, the availability of NAD. So sirtuin activities are not primarily determined by their protein levels, as we've been saying, but rather by the NAD concentration. And of course, that depends on the biosynthesis and stabilization of that uh, nicotinamide intermediate in sufficient quantities to be able to be used as the right amount for the KM of the enzyme, the sirtuin, the deacetylase, for it to be functional, fully functional. And that's going to depend on a couple of enzymes. And one of the key enzymes to keep NAD available at high enough levels 
is, of course, nicotinamide phosphorabicil transferase. And sometimes that enzyme is called NAMPT or NAMPT. Okay. Now, the contrast between CERT1 expression and its activity becomes evident when you study the breast cancer 1 early onset gene, not in breast cancer, but in the other cancer this, this protein shows up in, ovarian cancer, another one that's, of course, strictly with uh, females. And it shows up where suppression of the BRCA1, right, that's the breast cancer 1 early onset gene, Okay, suppression of BRCA1 reduced CERT1 expression, but it ends up increasing NAD concentration. And therefore, and remember this is all started with a however, CERT1 activity. So BRCA1 reduces CERT1 expression, that's at the level of transcription. But it also is involved in increasing nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide oxidized form concentration, and therefore what CERT1 is there, its activity is boosted. So indeed, somewhat paradoxically, but well within endocrinological research, the BRCA1 overexpression upregulated CERT1 expression, which is what you would expect, and... <laughs> decreases NAD levels, and therefore CERT1 activity. Okay? I told you that biochemistry is very complex. You have to talk about what system you're studying, the age of the system, and even the age of the cells within the system. And of course, if the cells are involved in any mutations, uh, if there are any mutations, any genes in those cells, or if there's any kind of change in cell division, such as in an oncogenic event, then you have to study that system to know what CERT1 is doing and therefore what melatonin is doing relative to genes known to turn on uh, carcinogenesis, like in the breast cancer line and the ovarian cancer line, the BRCA1. Okay? So that's what we're telling you here, right? Now, all that you can read in the International Journal of Molecular Sciences, published in 2019, March of that year, and that was volume 20, and the first page on that was one, two, two, three. Yeah. And that paper had to do with aging, melatonin, and then the pro and anti-inflammatory networking. And that's what we're that's where we were just at, right? So we see we're still discussing NAD, but this is all part of this PARP response too. So paper published in PLOS One in November on November 25th in 2014, we've talked about before, but quickly then. I'm going to tell you this paper describes a metabolic pathway for NAD biosynthesis in mammals, which involves at least two different routes, an amidation route and a deamidation route. So those two routes are, are what I want to highlight here. So the different sources of the pyridine of the pyridine uh, dinucleotide system, that moiety for NAD synthesis are necessary to understand. One of them is from the kinurene pathway directly from tryptophan. And the other is from the riboside, nicotinamide riboside. Okay, so let's move through this. The metabolites involved in these processes are following. Follow along with me. Nicotinic acid, I'm going to call NA. Nicotinamide, NAM. And nicotinamide riboside, NR. 
You also have an intermediate known as quinolinic acid, uh, which is just called QA, and nicotinate mononucleotide, which can be called NAMN. You also have nicotinamide um, mononucleotide. So that was nicotinate mononucleotide is NAMN, but you also have nicotinamide, right? So one is the acid and one, uh, one is the reduced form, mononucleotide, that's NMN. And finally, you have, of course, nicotinate adenine dinucleotide, and that's NAAD. Finally, you have nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. That's our old friend from metabolism, of course, the beta form, and that's just called NAD+. So there are several enzymes involved in that process. Uh, I won't go through them all, but there's a kinase system. There are transferases, adenosyl transferases involved, of course. There's a phosphorylbicyl pyrophosphate transferase uh, that starts from NAM and making NMN. And when you get the adenosyl transferases, NMN to NAD, right? And that's coming directly from the nicotinamide riboside pathway. So you phosphorylate nicotinamide riboside. Um, and that allows you to make NMN. NMN then goes through that adenosyl transferase. From the kinurene pathway, you go through this quinolinic acid um, riboseal transferase, which involves taking PRPP, as phosphoribosyl pyrophosphate, decarboxylating, and also running that reaction by driving uh, PPI, uh, 2PI to PPI. Um, that makes NAMN, remember that's the nicotinate mononucleotide, the oxidized form of it. And then you do the adenosyl transferase, you make NAAD. And then there's one more reaction that involves ATP and glutamine. Products of that are glutamate, AMP, and PPI. That's a synthase reaction, and that makes, of course, NAD. So nicotinate adenine forms NAD via the NADS enzyme. So did you get all that? Okay. So I know that if I was doing this on video, you'd be able to look at a slide that showed you the pathway, but I think I've explained what you need to know, the key ingredients. So there are multiple uh, processes that lead to NAD, and they involve multiple precursors and substrates. You need phosphorylbicyl pyrophosphate, and you need ATP. Mostly this is a nucleotide biosynthetic pathway, obviously, because it's nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. So you get the you you understand that hopefully uh, where we're going. Now I'm going to take you away from that beautiful biochemical pathway and talk to you about something to keep in mind. I like to do the keep in mind thing because we're talking about an architectonic understanding of this process. Remember that's what I do here. I don't leave anything to chance. I want you to get a full understanding. And here we're because we're doing biomedicine here. We're not doing let's say pharma pharmacological sciences. I always want to bring back something from clinic. So here we go. Paper published in OncoTarget in 2017. Paper published in August of that year. And I'm just going to tell you the first page on that was 55967. I think this paper is probably freely available. It doesn't sit behind a paywall. But I can't be sure of that right now because I'm not looking uh, at where I got the paper. I'm just looking at the paper. Okay, so this is what the paper tells us. Osteoarthritis, which of course is abbreviated OA, is a degenerative joint disease and it's characterized by cartilage degradation, 
and it's characterized as both an auto-inflammatory disease, which I told you we talked about OA many times in this, uh, in uh, authentic biochemistry. But also, we also know, uh, I didn't need to do that double there, I guess, but we also know that OA is common to aging, right? Auto-inflammation, aging, two kind of go together, unfortunately. One of the morbidities in aging. So where do we get, how do we get there? Interleukin-1-beta contributes to OA pathogenesis because it enhances oxidative stress and, of course, inflammation. Interleukin-1-beta is pro-inflammatory cytokine. Melatonin, okay, back to melatonin here, might protect OA. I protect against it because melatonin-inhibited interleukin-1-beta-induced toxicity and sirtuin-1 enhancement in human chondrocytes. So melatonin had an effect on interleukin-1-beta and on sirtuin-1 in human chondrocytes. Different system what we're just talking about, right? Last time we we're talking about ovarian cancer. All right, now melatonin actually reduced interleukin-1-beta increased nicotinamide phosphoribosyl transferase expression Okay, so normally interleukin-1-beta increases the expression of NAMPPT. PT. Remember, that's involved in the synthesis, remember, of ADP ribose. Uh, and, of course, all the intermediates in the NAD metabolic grid. So if, it, if melatonin reduces IL-1-beta, which normally increases NAMPT expression, uh, and then, therefore, NAD level in chondrocytes, that means that there's a CERT-1 dependent association because CERT-1 is involved in regulating NAD levels and vice versa. So in turn, the inhibitory effect of melatonin on CERT-1 ends up being mediated by the phosphorabacil transferase enzyme. Of course, because that's what's feeding the NAD. Now, moreover, melatonin suppresses IL-1-beta induced CERT-1 mediated matrix metalloproteinase 3. Now, whenever you hear metalloproteinases, you know you're leading into an oncogenic system, right? And that, that protein is called MMP, right? Uh, and MMP3, and also the isoform MMP13. So two different metalloproteinases, right? So melatonin suppresses IL-1-beta-induced CERT-1-mediated MMP3 and MMP13 production, okay? So melatonin also increases, excuse me, also decreases the CERT-1-steered nuclear factor of activated T-cells, isoform 5. We talked about this before too. Don't be worried. It's called NFAT5. So melatonin also decreases the CERT1 steered, that means regulated, right? So NFAT5, as it turns out, depletion mimics the suppressive effects of melatonin on interleukin-1-beta, of course, because I just told you the, the, the association of the two. So if you deplete NFAT5, it looks like you're getting the suppressive effects of melatonin on 
interleukin-1-beta elevated production of pro-inflammatory mediators, including, because cell transcriptional regulation down the road, tumor necrosis factor alpha, interleukin-1-beta itself, but also locally prostaglandin E2 and nitric oxide, all in the chondrocyte. So TNF-alpha, interleukin-1-beta, PGE2, or nitric oxide decrease, all of those can cause a similar reduction in MMP3 and MMP13, all by melatonin and in an interleukin-1-beta insulted chondrocyte. My word, insulted, I like that. It's intruding, but it's also insulting the process. We have to stop here. And we'll pick up on this uh, next time. I just looked at the clock and I see that we're about ready to finish. So it's a good time to stop because it's a lot to uh, assimilate. And that assimilation process now can uh, commence. Now, I forgot to tell you at the beginning, the reason I'm doing authentic biochemistry lectures is because I have nothing better to do. So now I've said that. And also at the end of my lectures, I always like to say, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry. Bye for now.